You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com, where we have past podcasts, blogs, and a couple items for sale. So check us out, beardedtheologians.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have a longtime friend of the podcast and, and friend of, of Matt and I, uh, Jerry Herships on uh, once again. Jerry, thanks for being on, man. <laughs> hey, guys, it's good to see you. Uh, you're right. I'm thinking about what we've been talking about for the last 25 minutes and thinking, man, that would have been a great broadcast right there. That would have been uh, that would have been something. So, folks, if you're watching at home and this sucks, uh, then reach out to either one of these guys and that's what we talked about before because that shit was entertaining. That was that's really right. That's what you really want, but uh, but we can we can revisit some of that, you know, as well. But uh, but I know you guys have a have a, a theme that you want to sort of loosely run around, correct? Yeah. So we've been uh, this Lenten season. We're we're taking um, we're calling it cherry picking scriptures, right? Because that's always the fun thing to do, and and taking scriptures that have been often uh, misused, misinterpreted, uh, taken you know just used in ways that we'd like to talk about. <laughs> and so, so we have Jerry bring in our scripture today. So we're kind of in the dark on what it's going to be. Wow. There's got to be a certain, luckily, I mean, we all know each other, but if I'm like, said, just some random dude, you're like, holy shit, what's this guy going to talk about? Like this, <laughs> this could be horrific. Like, oh my God, that he actually meant bite the head off a bat. That's what he <laughs> right. really meant. You're like, oh, cut, can we start over? So, but uh, no, it's not that. In fact, it's one that, um, that I don't know a clergy person that hasn't heard this scripture directed at them. I, I really, I don't know. Um, because at one time or another, probably every clergy person you've ever known, especially if you know any clergy people that have uh, planted a church and started from ground zero, uh, every single uh, pastor that started a church has heard this scripture Um delivered to them. And it's almost inevitably when you're starting out because you're starting out and you don't have game yet. And you're still trying to figure shit out and, and you're still trying to get people in and, and you're starting at zero. This is not like what the pastor at the previous appointment handed you. This is like, no, there's nothing there. Uh, and the most recent I heard it was just after we opened for the pandemic, um, Aspen got crushed. We went up 300% in our hospitalizations in January. Um, we're a town of 7,000 people. And in one week, we had 1,370 new cases. So I mean, wow. it was exploding. And so we had been reopened for like a year. Well, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. Yeah. I mean, like 10, 11 months. And we had to shut down again and we shut down for January. But right before we shut down, I mean, my congregation is, is, is much older, probably the median age is in their 70s. And they're smart. And a lot of people knew that that Pickin County and Aspen was on fire. And my congregation is, is well off enough that a lot of them are saying, you know, let's stay in West Palm. Let's stay in, in Missouri. Let's stay in, in Kentucky. And when it cools down, then we'll, we'll go there. So our attendance plummeted in January. And one day I come out, I'm getting ready to walk into Persessa and John's got the candle and I look out, there's four people in the car, four. And I, I'm like, oh, I ain't missing this shit. So I took a picture <laughs> of that 
and and I posted online, you know, God be with us. You know, I mean, it's really hitting this town really hard. And I must have had three or four people quote the scripture back. And I'm curious if you have any idea, if you guys were betting people, what passage you think I'm going to talk about? Any guess? I don't. Like, I couldn't believe it. There were just there were just four people in the church, and and I mean, I know, you know, church is important regardless of whether you got five thousand or if you got four, but it's just really hard. And people posted this comment after comment. You want to take a guess? Where two or more are gathered? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's where to Matthew twenty verse eighteen is the actual verse where two or more are gathered there I am also and it's almost always laid out to be look man church is not about the numbers church is not about how many people gather together you know you can you can share the work of the lord regardless of how many people are there and as long as you have two or more people god is present there two things wrong with that <laughs> the first being so god is present where two or more are gathered but I guess you're shit out of luck if you're by yourself. So don't pray alone because God's not there. Because I think we have it right here in scripture. It's where two or more are gathered. God is here, but apparently not by yourself. So which everyone knows is like, well, no, wait a second. That doesn't seem right. I pray a lot by myself and I'm certain God's around. So there's that. The second piece is the context in which that scripture is yanked from. The intention most of the time from people and, and I need to have this caveat. The intention is to make me feel better. I mean, we had this at After Hours, too. The intention was pastoral in the sense of, look, dude, it's everybody's had shit Sundays, you know, and, and that's just the reality. So the, the pastoral intention was good. But the passage that they reference is in referencing to how you want to go about excommunicating a member of your church if they are giving you shit. So that's the context <laughs> Of the passage. So I'm going to read the whole thing just Please so people do. are, don't think I'm making this crap up. So Matthew 20 verses 15 through 20 and 20 is the 20 is the, the punchline. So is the one we talked about. So it says, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. So just the two of you. Hey, Carl, come here. Look, that was not cool. You know, back to our scripture. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. Cool. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you. Sort of as muscle. That's all I can assume. Just, just body. <laughs> right. Take one or two along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Carl, you know Bob and John? Okay. Remember the shit you said earlier? Let's go over that again. And right. here, write this down. Pull out a parchment. <laughs> write this down. <laughs> so now you've got two or three witnesses. Verse 17. If the member refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. <laughs> okay, other announcements. Um, let me tell you what Carl said last week. <laughs> That's basically, if they tell it to the church, and if the offenders refuse to listen, even to the church, let such a one be to you as a, as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in heaven. Again, Truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And I'm like, it is not just that it's not, it's used this way. Hey, a small group of people 
can still be a holy sacred group. Totally down with that. Yeah. But that's so not the context in which this is pulled from. It's more, look, man, if you can get two or three people to agree with you, screw that guy. He's out. <laughs> that's basically what Matthew's telling us. Like, you can try out one-on-one and just, you know, which sounds very, I mean, even, even in context, it sounds very mob-like. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, Carl, you got a second? Come here. So that thing that you and I talked about last week, not cool. And uh, your kid's still going to school by that same route. That's a very dangerous road. You know, lots of bad things can happen. Are we good? Okay. You're a good boy, Carl. Okay. And everything is like, and then if that doesn't work, bring along other people. It's just the whole thing. But that's been the scripture that is probably, I've heard most of the time, uh, just being thrown out pretty cavalier. And I'm open to multiple. In fact, I think good scripture good scripture if we do our work as theologians there's multiple layers to it i think there there's a lot you can you can look at yeah i remember my favorite interpretation of the prodigal son was somebody and being you know for a lifetime a white straight able-bodied dude and somebody in the group i was at isla and pointed out wonder what the perspective of the story was from the servants that were that were waiting on them. And it, it was, it was definitely, it was, um, um, liberation theology. It was definitely, it was a person of color in my olive class that I was like, man, I just got schooled because not only did I not think of that, I didn't even see them in the story, which is like, boom. And there's kind of our point is that they were invisible. And I've heard, I've heard it done from the viewpoint of the son that leaves from the son that stays from the father from, but I'm like, oh my God, what about the servants that around all the time. I mean, it was it was eye-opening. That doesn't mean the other interpretations were wrong. I mean, it just meant we're going to look at it through a different lens. And that to me is, you know, we get paid to find the time to look at scripture in different ways. You know, most of the people sitting in the pews don't have that kind of time. So that always made me feel good. This felt like, I really don't think that was, <laughs> that was exactly the point. You know, I could be wrong, but, but that's, that's the one that that stuck with that has always stuck with me that yeah. I've no I love that and that's that's the whole idea behind this of we get paid to do this right so let's talk about it and actually do it yeah and do the work for sure. For and, sure. and in doing that work and actually looking at things in context instead of going to our local um you know nice store that puts this stuff on on uh you know driftwood where you can hang it in our house right <laughs> buying it there so it looks pretty uh yeah. do the work right and yeah. in and I think what we find when we dig into this stuff is the people who have edited these things put chapter numbers and verse numbers and title paragraphs and headings and things like that have really done us a disservice uh, right. in a lot of ways. Because even if you keep reading verse 21, it's Peter going, well, then how many freaking times yeah, should like, I forgive him? Like, <laughs> what are Jesus oh, oh, and even that, you know, I learned it. I learned it. Is 70 times? No. Seven times? No, 70 times seven. That's mm-hmm. the way I learned it. NRSV says 77 times. Right. So I'm like, well, wait. And then you learn, okay, that's phraseology. That that meant, you know, I mean, you know, that guy's got one in a million chances. Well, that's a phrase. It doesn't mean he's got to try it a million times in one time. But you don't know that unless you do the work, you know, right. unless you actually. But even when I was looking for this and I looked at verse 20, I'm like, wait a second, it's 70 times. Oh, shit. 
wow. So did somebody drill down and went, actually, that's the way they used to interpret that. But really, the number would be, and then somebody else went, right, and you're missing the point entirely, because it's really <laughs> not about an exact number. It's about right. infinite. Like, you just keep forgiving them. And yeah. I had a conversation. I, I have, I think, probably um, a disproportionate number, both of people that went to after hours and relationships with uh, atheists. And, and agnostics and have always been uh, really good with going, you, we respect you, we respect what you do. Um, we just don't buy this. Uh, I had somebody this past week, this past week at a bar that I, it's a restaurant, but they've got eight bar stools and the food's so crazy expensive. I only sit at the bar between three and five when they're happy hours going on and you get the burger for 12 bucks instead of 22. Anyway, so shot in a beer for $10. That's a great deal. Anyway, I'm sitting at the bar and I'm with um, a friend of mine and he starts talking to two people next to him and they're from out of town visiting and both were uh, nurses, but, you know, so immediately, you know, these days, if you're in the healthcare profession, it's like being in the military, you thank them for their service. I mean, that's like the first things first. And we get to talking and, and my, my friend goes, you know, he used to do church in a bar, you know, and I mean, <laughs> loud enough for the whole bar to hear that, you know, right. And they go, really, that's different. And I said, yeah, I said, where are you guys from? They were from the South. And so immediately I had a bias and immediately prejudged them. You know, turns out um, I was not only wrong, I was really wrong because uh, she made the comment as we were talking. She said, well, she goes, I'm an atheist. So I'm like, wow, not only are you not Southern Baptist, you're an atheist. That's, that's real. You really swung the pendulum far the other way. <laughs> 180. And uh, so there's always been a quote that I've always loved. And you may have you may have heard me say it or I may have even wrote it in one of my books. Uh, it's a quote from Marcus Borg. And when he taught at Oregon State, um, which is one of the most unchurched states in our nation so and as a sidebar i read a thing the other day it said uh unaffiliated uh, people in the united states people that don't affiliate with a church the number one county was in oregon the number two county was in washington state the number three was pitkin county where i am uh-huh. and it tied with three other counties and so most people here just it's just not a thing, you know, they, you will often hear them say, you know, the mountain is my sanctuary and nature is my church. And, and I'm not making fun of that. That's, that's where their, their head's at. So she says, uh, she goes, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm atheist. And I said, oh, and I just tell the story about Borg. He would often have students come up and in his class and go, look, Dr. Borg, um, I just need to be upfront with you. I'm taking this class for the credit. I, I don't believe in God at all. And Borg would always say, tell me about the God you don't believe in, because I probably don't believe in that God either. And it was just such a great line. And, you know, I, I, she said, you know, I, I don't believe in God. And I go, I said, well, I go, I have a, a friend, an author that I quote, I said, and told that story. And I said, so tell me about the God you don't believe in. And she says, well, be an atheist. And I said, no, atheist or agnostic? She goes, no, no, I'm atheist. She goes, we have a saying among atheists that uh, agnostics are just atheists without balls. <laughs> it's like, okay, continue on. Go ahead. That's, that's fine. And she says, you know, I just really struggle with organized religion. 
And I said, well, I said, you know, who else struggled with organized religion was Jesus. And I go, he had a really hard time with it. I go, you can see the word hypocrite 18 times in the Bible. And every time it came out of Jesus's mouth and every time it was directed at me, I said it was directed at clergy people. And she says, well, she goes, it's not that. She goes, it's not like I don't believe in a higher power, I believe in a, a universe. She goes, I just really struggle with the institution, to which I so badly wanted to say, then you're not an atheist. <laughs> you just gave a bunch of shit to agnostics. You're not even that. Like, you're acknowledging that you believe it. Now, how we define that higher being? Welcome to theology. Like, that's, that's I don't know. Everybody pull out your pens. Let's all write one page and all three of us are going to write three different things. I mean, that's, that's just a given, but for her, and I just found that, and I think there's so many people out there, the idea that if they don't go to church, they're agnostic, they're atheist, or they're angry. And to Matt's point earlier, it's like, or how about this? Here's a thought. Maybe we suck. Like, like maybe, maybe the presentation isn't good. God help anybody saying that. I might as well have just said I slapped your mom because we don't want to take any credit for why they might not show up. This is on them. And I'm like, how's that working out for us? Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, how, how, how good is the church doing these days with that attitude? And I'm like, we're, we're a dumpster fire. I mean, we are absolutely on fire. And that was pre-pandemic. <clears throat> Right. And now I sit there and think, holy shit. And you know what? You know, I've said more than once, maybe even on this show, that I just don't think that that God's up there wringing God's hands going, what am I going to do if the Methodist church splits? Oh, my goodness. What's going to happen? God's fine. Like, <laughs> God is going to be okay. Really, it's not a concern for it. I do think there are a lot of people that are sweating it pretty hard right now. I mean, I think there's people that, and I mean, some of it is, you know, us. I mean, we invested Twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars plus to get an actual degree in this. It wasn't like we were told in a dream when we were three that, and then we got ordained when we were seven. It's like we really invest. Like we've got skin in the game, mm -hmm. and the idea that, and I think it's going to be pretty common. I was talking to clergy colleagues, and Zach, you'll appreciate this. They were talking about other districts within our conference, and they said there's three ordained clergy in the conference. And one person in that group, it was on a chat, one person said, I know of three churches that don't have a pastor and haven't had one for three years. This will be going on their third year because we just don't have enough. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea of guaranteed appointment. Now, look, there are plenty of people that would get screwed and they're mostly our female colleagues and colleagues of color that would get screwed. That's part of the good news that comes out of guaranteed appointments, I think, is that it helps. It doesn't fix it, but it helps level the playing field. But man, I had a buddy of mine who was a wrestler and he used to say all the time in, in high school, he used to say, my coach used to say, you guys are getting fat and happy. You guys are getting fat and happy. And when when you're guaranteed a job, I mean, it's only, guys, it's only us and Supreme Court justices. Like, that's mm -hmm. it, who are guaranteed jobs for life. As long as you don't touch people or the money, you're guaranteed a job for life. And even then, it's a gray area. Anyway, there's plenty of people that probably have F that up, and they're still got a job somewhere. Yeah, uh, we'll, I we'll just send you somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do catch myself going... What would it look like? And I think it's inevitable 
for all clergy to go bivocational. I mean, I, I, it's the, and I think, and maybe I'm wrong here. I, I, I don't have the stat for this, uh, but I want to say that I think the vast majority of clergy worldwide are bivocational. Like that's, that's again, and I think, how would this game change if packages weren't 160 grand cash and housing? You know, like what would it look like if they went, look, Here's the national average for incomes. Here's the national. Everybody gets 72.5. I don't care if you have a church with 5,000. If you got a church with 40, you make 72.5. Well, that's above the national average for incomes, period. I mean, we'd mm -hmm. still be doing better than most. It'd be fascinating to see what would happen to the ranks if they just gave a universal flat rate and just right. said, look, this is what we pay to preach and comfort and administer the word, you know, sacraments, who's in? Right. I, would, I would, it would be a great social experiment. And who knows, we may come to the day where that's the case. You know, I mean, once the, uh, once the truck church, uh, with the GMC truck church <laughs> takes a bunch of people, um, we're, it's going to be a different dynamic. Yeah. It, the church has to be, yep. you know? No, I, I, I mean, I've been in this conference uh, five or six years, something like that. I moved here. Uh, I've been bivocational ever since. I had a three-point charge in Montana, right? Mm -hmm. Bivocational. I had to have right. three jobs to make a full-time one. Right. Uh, and my current appointment is yeah. the church I serve can't afford a full-time pastor, so I'm partnered with the conference, right? Sure. And yep. I keep trying to drill that into the institution of we're there. <laughs> right. we're, we're not looking at this down the road. We're there. Right, so right. how how do we fix this? Right. Yeah. And you know, like this, we're living off this where two or more are gathered. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Right. It'll be okay. Totally. It'll take care of us. Totally. Uh, and, yeah. it'll be fine. and it'll be interesting to see when people get even more creative with how bivocationals define. I literally was saying to one of my bartenders last, last night, I said, I said, you know, I, I said, I would love to get like another, gig just like one day a week bartending and, and the place is a very high-end cocktail place i said not here i said i can't do half the shit i don't even know half this to put in my drink you know i mean i for all i know who knows but i said uh, but like one day a week it just you know and i mentioned another place that that's sort of a shot in a beer joint i said i could go in the, and literally the bartender offered me a job last night yeah. he goes man if you want to he goes we could have you working here you could do the door you could but you could do all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, I'm not quite there yet. I, you know, got this full-time gig. What's going to happen though, when that becomes, I have a clergy colleague that has literally said, he goes, I can't wait for the day when we don't have to be reliant on, on money for our thing. And I just thought that was fascinating. And, and there's a lot of other denominations, but these guys are mechanics and chefs and other things all through the week. And then on the weekend, God bless them, blood, sweat, and tears, and write up a sermon and deliver that to go back to their nine to five on Monday. And I thought, you know, I don't necessarily want to be in that scenario, but man, you got to hand it to people that are. You got to hand it to people that, that bust ass 45 hours a week in some other gig to put food on the table and then just do church because they love God. Right. That's well, awesome. Yeah, and, I mean, and we have a whole contingency in, in our area of local pastors who are doing that very thing, right? right. 
who are yeah. just and crushing it in their churches. Yeah. Yeah. You know, making a huge difference. Exactly. Exactly. I'm uh, I'm anxious to see what will happen. Well, let me ask you guys, what what do you think where you're Matt? I'm embarrassed to say that we've been doing this so long. Remind <laughs> me where you are again. Well, you know, I, I, I tend to move every so many years. Uh, and so it's hard to, to be fair. I haven't been in the same place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, um, I, I'm now in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, um, okay. which is about, oh, about an hour. I'm, I'm literally halfway in between uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Like literally, I could go either direction. Wow. Uh, okay. It's about an hour from either or. Um, okay. So, yeah. So what do you think? And I imagine it's probably very different for, eh, I wouldn't say very different, but I imagine it's different for Denver Metro churches and a church an hour outside of Tulsa. Um, for anybody, I'm sure you guys saw that May 1st launch date for the, the global, the what is it, global Methodist church, church yeah. the GMC, that I, that, you know what, that was worth the price of admission today, guys. <laughs> just, just, we'll keep calling them the GMC. That's, that's hysterical. Built tough. I don't, I don't know what the slogan. <laughs> see how, how they, how they riff on that. Um, because God knows I'm going to. Hundred <laughs> percent. The gonna, meme game is going to be strong. We hang up this call. It's just going to start right back. <laughs> but uh, God, I wish I was better at memes. Anyway, uh, um, I don't know. Like I immediately when I heard that, I thought, okay, I could think of three churches that I would put money on the table to think they're going to, they're going to bounce, you know, they're, they're going to go over to that side. Uh, I would imagine it might be a hair different in Oklahoma or am I completely wrong? Um, so what I'm learning and hearing is that there are some that understand how things are going to work. And there's some that we're just so in the dark because we haven't really talked about it a whole lot. Gotcha. And yeah. so we have had uh, the largest church in the conference said Sunday that they will be going to uh, the uh, truck church and will be, I mean, but, but we all knew that because while well, they were hosting, the, they hosted the big global event a couple of years ago. So the writing was on the wall. I mean, it wasn't like, Oh, wow. We didn't realize they were going to do that. And, and right. there are churches that have positioned themselves um, that understand the process, whatever that may be on both sides of the fence. Um, we were told last night in a, in a zoom call that only, Two churches have asked for disaffiliation. I know both those churches, and they're both on opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. So one is, let's say, very yeah. conservative. One's very progressive. Yeah. Um, and so I think that you'll see in Oklahoma, um, we will be slow to enter the race because we don't know what the A lot of churches don't know what the race is. Right. Where they need to go or what's the best path for them. I mean, and that's really, you know, the conversation we've had here in my five years here, that's been our conversation that we want to, you know, we want to stay a part of the Methodist movement and that's who we are. Um, and, you know, we've positioned ourselves to do that. Um, yeah. And so I think in Oklahoma, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's either going to happen so fast that churches are going to be so out of the dark that they're just not even going to do the thing that they probably should and self-reflect and see which 
denomination they should be a part of, and right. they'll just land wherever their bishop or district superintendent or pastor tells them to. Right. Um, and so I think you're going to, it's going to be, I think it's going to be really, really interesting in Oklahoma because I really don't feel like we've done the work necessary to have these conversations uh, to know what's out there and what, sure. you know, what paths can be forward and, and things like that. And I think that that's going to be, um, it's going to be a wild west out here uh, for sure. Uh, well, and I think that you just pointed out something really wise. I remember when St. Andrew became a reconciling church and we had classes and panel discussions and um, talk back sessions and brought, brought in specialists on the topic. And when we actually voted, and again, we're 5,000 members and constituents, it passed with like 98 0.2%. I mean, it was a must. But I've heard so many people in the reconciling movement hear about a church going, yeah, we're going to we're going to be reconciling. They're like, do me a favor. Just make sure you do the work, like just do the work ahead of time so that it's not just this blanket thing. And then, yeah, you got it by the numbers, but nothing really changed. I mean, really, in, in the ethos of the of the of the DNA of the church. And I think you're right, Matt. I think there's a lot of people that are just like, I don't know. What do you guys think? You know, it's like. Oh, there's a lot more to it than that, yeah. you know. And, well, and that was that was the thing I fought when I first got here. They assumed I was going to take us to being a reconciling congregation, and I, my response is, "Do we want to do the work?" And I didn't. Nobody seemed to want to do the work. Mm -hmm. So why stress myself out on something right. uh, that uh, that we're not willing? If we're going to do it, you know. But but this church actually had one of the first Sunday school classes that was a reconciling Sunday school class. So, How cool uh, is that? So you know, it was already, I mean, in some ways it's already kind of here. Um, right. and you know, we've learned how to do church. This has probably been the most diverse church in that I literally have don't tread on me flags sitting right next to the person with the rainbow uh, flag, literally wow. sitting next to each other. Um, this has probably been the most diverse church I've been in and have loved every bit of it. Uh, pluses cool. and minuses and, you know, uh, people telling me I don't know what I'm saying when I speak out on things and people that love what I'm saying when I speak out on things. And, and, it's, right, and right. Uh, therapy has been fun the last five years. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but I think that, you know, we, you brought up like probably one of the most, to me, one of the most funniest verses because how many times, and, and Jerry, you, you shared that story of, you know, you had four people in a room on Sunday and yet like, I can tell you, I can't tell you a number of times since we've been back since COVID when the room was very thin to begin with and like the worship team, like, oh. and I'm like, no, 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 like, this is good. Like, let's like, this is going to be fun, you know? And, and then we turn around first hymn plays, we turn around and then there's a, you know, 30 to 40 more people that just showed up, uh, right. you know, right. um, because Lord knows that Christians can't come on time for anything. And so, right. You know, you you have that first hymn and that greeting time for a per, to serve a specific purpose, right, not just right. because you have to do it. You do it because there's going to be nine times out of ten, half your congregation shows up 15 minutes after the service started anyway. Somebody's still parking. Yes, right. so build in that time anyway. Um, yeah. And and I, I, I that's why I was tickled at the verse he brought up because I mean it's just so funny how that plays out. Not only just in that verse, but you look at the context of it, like you know, Zach, we, we did talk about the forgiveness part and, and like, how often do we need to work on just even that idea of forgiveness? Like, I think that like when two or more are gathered, maybe that one person that's with us, maybe that's someone we need to reconcile with. Totally. Um, and I think, I think as much as, you know, maybe that maybe verse 20 is taken out of context. 
I think there's something that really speaks to process in this, which is, look, man, if, if you got a problem with someone, don't go up into the pulpit and announce the fucking problem. Like, don't right. like that's not cool. Like you don't you give everybody the benefit. Looks, let, let's do this like adults. Let's have a one on one and go. Let's you know, what? maybe I just misunderstood this and then have other people go, look, maybe maybe this is still just me. Let's have other ears and eyes on this and let's see how the, and then if it doesn't change it. So there's there's a step by step process. You know, most corporations, at least every bar I ever worked in was like um, verbal, verbal, written, written, written term. Like mm-hmm. you got two verbal warnings, three written warnings, and then you got canned. That's essentially this process right there that, that we read about in scripture rather than going, no, you know what, you you're not supposed to use call liquor in the well drinks. So you're fired. It's like, Whoa, hang on. I, I don't even get like a a grace here in any way. I mean, this passage really speaks to grace is what it's saying. You know what? I'm going to come right out the gate and say, I think this could be me. I may have completely misunderstood what you said the other day. Uh, Do you guys know, do you guys know um, father James Martin? Mm -hmm. Do you know, he, he wrote um, the Jesuits guide to nearly everything. And uh, if you can follow him on Twitter, he's killer. He's he's just really has his shit together. He was always on uh, the Today Show or maybe Good Morning America as like the religion correspondent. He was the editor of uh, Catholic Weekly or American Catholic or something Catholic. Anyway, I don't know, he was Catholic involved. He was a Jesuit. But he had this great line that he said an older Jesuit priest told him. And he just said, you know, when you're dealing with other people, assume the positive. And he said, he goes, when you see him, give him the plus sign. He goes, just assume that what they said was best intent and what they did was best intent, which we are not as a nation in a place right now. We are so quick to jump down people's throats for the wrong thing said. And even when in the best context, taken the wrong way. And you're like, oh my God, this scripture sort of speaks to that. It's how many times have any of the three of us been called out on Facebook for some shit that we said that we weren't even aware of that absolutely we do need to be schooled on. This verse would say, go to me in messenger. Hey, Jerry, so you know, that phrase that you used, not cool. Like politically correct. We don't say that anymore. It's like, oh shit, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was a, even a thing. They're like, oh yeah, it's a thing. Don't do it. It's like, thank you. Okay. That's the first line of the scripture. Pull them aside and have a one-on-one with them rather than blast them on Twitter or on Facebook and just say, hey, I just want to point out how uncomfortable I am that you're so totally insensitive that you would do, you know, like wah, wah, wah. You know I mean? I, from now on, I should go, you know what? You need to go to Matthew 18, <laughs> Matthew 20, verses 15 through 20. Look at that. And then That's tell it. me. That's it. But I mean, there, there is, I mean, kidding aside, that really is a modern day version of that is to say, mm-hmm. look, let's, let's, I don't, this needs to be corrected, but I don't need to shame you in right. doing it. And in some ways that's this passage is, you know, this, I, I, let me make sure I'm going to give you an opportunity to restate that because you may have said that in a, in a wrong way. And, uh, you know, Matt, that's a, that's a great reference. I didn't think of that until 
until just now. I mean, that I, that idea that there's, there's a modern day equivalent to this and that's blasting them from the pulpit or from Facebook or talking to them on the side, you know, in messenger or whatever. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what this is all about, right? Is, is finding these moments that one fit today, (laughs) like taking the whole context of it and going, Oh, this is what this means for us today. Right. Instead of, instead of taking the flowery line that makes us feel kind of good and can be pastoral and be helpful in some places, right or wrong, uh, you know, (laughs) take it, take it off the driftwood on the wall and actually actually (laughs) drill down into it. You know, it's funny. I remember, uh, I wish I could remember where I heard this, but it was, it was really wise. And it's part, it's one of the things that changed with my preaching with the pandemic. And that was, um, I remember this pastor saying, I was at a pastor workshop and he said, if you're talking to church going folk, people that have been doing church for a long time, you know, the way we've always done it, read scripture and then dissect the scripture and then often say, you know, where's God in all this? You know, where, where, where are we in this? And scene. Okay. Good night, everybody. Tip your ushers. See you next week. He said, that's great. If you're talking to a church going crowd. He said, if you're not talking to a church growing crowd, he goes, there's nothing wrong with, he goes, the, the old model was, here's the scripture, dissect the scripture, tell them what the story is, then tell them how that fits into modern day. He goes, but if you're talking to non-church people, they've already tuned you out by the time you get to that last part. They go, you could do the scripture and then tell the modern day story and then show them how that links back to the scripture that you just read. Because to wait till the very end, to tell, you've already lost most of them. Yeah, and then right. I heard somebody say, and what could be even better is start with the modern day story, do the scripture verse as the bridge, and then tell how the scripture connects to that modern day story. And I was like, you know, that, w- and for the way I do it online, it worked out fantastic. Right? So now it's almost always, and now from the pulpit with church goers that have been there for 30 years, not one of them said a word about it. Right. So Part of that was out of necessity. We didn't want to have more people up on the chancel than need be. So we didn't want to have a liturgist. So I said, I can do it, but I'm just going to plug it in the middle of the sermon. So I start with the, the modern day story, hopefully to, to bring them in, you know, to hook them. And then scripture that backs that up and then explain the scripture and how it ties to the modern day story. That was something I, I grew up Catholic. I mean, that was never, in fact, there wasn't even just one reading when you're Catholic, there's like three readings every service, you know, and then they talk. So that was, that was really a different way of, of drilling down on it than what I've ever, ever done before. And, you know, Aspen's been around since 1890. So it's pretty traditional, (laughs) but I found at least in my case, I was the one putting, putting up the bumpers. I was the one going, well, the churches, so they're going to push back on virtually everything. They haven't pushed back on anything. And these are 70-year-olds. I mean, these are people that, you know, without addressing ageism, have every right to push back. They're like, dude, you're the new cat in town. Like, Mm -hmm. we're the ones that have been. Here's how we've always done it. And God bless them. They're I've always said, I go, they're just after hours in 30 years. You know, I mean, they're the same. (laughs) The same progress, you know, I've definitely got the people at my church that, that, you know, um, we marched in 
three or four Black Lives Matter rallies here. And they're the ones that are carrying the signs that say, I can't believe I'm still protesting this shit. They're like, I held this when I marched with King and I held this when I marched across the bridge. And I, you're like, damn, like they're old school. Right. <laughs> they really get it. They really, right. really get it. So, yeah. Well, Jerry, I love it, man. We'll we'll sit and talk all day. <laughs> they can do that for sure. There's no question. There's no question. So um, I thought there was something else I was going to bring up. Um, well, that was my next question. Is there anything else you got yeah, lingering? I, it's funny. It was what we were talking about earlier in the first half, besides uh, the church split and the pandemic, uh, so what do you guys think will be the long, what are some, what are some long-term insights or learnings from the pandemic that you guys have seen? I mean, I, I told you, you know, we took the offertory out. I mean, we just took it out of the serve one, because we're trying to eliminate as many touch points as possible. And we have the basket at the, at the door, our giving's gone up and our service has gotten shorter. And I'm never once heard somebody go, man, I just wish church could be longer. I just, I missed, I missed the longer, more boring church. That's what I want to get back to. Like it's, it's been a plus. Has that been the case with you guys? Have you found like, what are some good things that, cause God knows we could do a fucking marathon session on the shitty things that the pandemic <laughs> brought. Right. That's, that's not a revelation, but anything, any insights that you thought are, are positive that's come out of it. I think the biggest thing is, is authenticity matters mm. and that can stuff is um, nobody wants it anymore. Right. Uh, Cause they can get it. There are, you know, more avenues now. Um, and so having authentic experience, whether it's, you know, um, how you're doing your baptisms or how you do communion, you know, those authentic experience touch points that, you know, we've had to kind of think about how we're doing differently now. You know, I miss, I'm not going to lie. I miss communion by intention. I do. It's, it's, it was, it's my jam. It's who I am. Right. Um, I totally. haven't, I haven't done it since March 8th, um, 2020. Right. But it hasn't changed me. Um, the way we do it now is even more special when I hand them, cause we pre-package, we make our own communion stuff. And when okay. I, hand, I don't buy that cheap, that cheap oh, they're stuff, not cheap but, well they're not cheap i actually it's actually cheaper for me to make my own than it is to go buy it but um i have found something very sacred when i hand them the elements in that mm -hmm. moment of being able to hold it with them and hold it with them there's just something in that handoff there that has become just very powerful um and 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 you know it's just been a part of who we've become uh, so how do you do it? How do you do it now, Matt? What, what, so what's you, you know, like the little um, condiment cups, the one ounce condiment cups. Yeah. Uh, Thursday before we have a person that comes in and and tears apart the pieces of wine loaf and sticks them in, caps them, puts the grape juice in, caps them. We have them on a nice little uh, deal that we put up there, put up uh, cool. and bless them. And then we uh, serve them that way individually. We have gluten. We have a gluten free option for people that need that. Uh, cool. and, and there is just something special about handing it to them. That happened when the first year of the pandemic and we did drive-through communion, we were seeing 60 to 80 people mm -hmm. through drive-through communion in the wow. same process. And what it was is they'd watch the service. As soon as the service was over, my associate pastor and I would go stand outside, uh, elements be damned and hand out communion 
two people in their cars. And so like, that was just a, like that, those moments I will never forget and almost as more powerful than just doing intention. Um, I gotta be honest, you, you threw me for a second when you said elements be damned, you meant Wayne's Yes, that seems like a sort of improper way to dress the body and blood of Christ, but no, okay, he's got his theory. Yes. Yeah, uh, so, you know, that's one thing. I think authenticity matters and um, relationships matter more than programs. Totally. Um, and that trying to... Um, debunk the starting a new program versus actually starting finding ways we can build relationships uh, with either things that are happening in the community that we don't have to create here or you know what do we need to craft that would help bridge some gaps and some holes that are in our community i think that that's mm -hmm. been the, really the big things that we've learned cool cool what about you uh zach any thoughts yeah i mean it's it it all for me it all goes back to uh the conversation between um purpose over preference, right? We'd all prefer to go back to normal and do the things that we were doing and, and get back into that routine. Sure. Uh, but the last couple of years has been that huge reminder of, well, what are we doing and does it serve a purpose? And if it doesn't serve a purpose, it's not meaningful. It's not relationship building. It's not doing anything for anybody. It's just taking up time right. and energy and, and just over conversations with with colleagues and folks of, oh man, we've lost a third of our church. They're nev never coming back. How are you guys doing? Well, we're growing. Well, how are you growing? Right. Well, you know, uh, and, and it's always got, well, people got out of the routine. Well, I'm not in the business to make routine. We're in the business right. to build relationships and make disciples. And, and that's where totally. we start. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's all been that reminder of every, everything we do has to have a purpose and if it doesn't, it's got to go. Yeah. Uh, in, and if we're not making meaning in that, if, if, and it shows, like Matt said, it's authentic, authenticity, uh, and the bullshit doesn't come through or it does come through. Right. So you know, it, it's funny. I got caught in the very trap that you were just saying, you know, I thought, gosh, that's amazing. I mean, that they're growing. And I thought, you know, I mean, we were topping out at 35, which is what after hours was always. And yet our, our, our social footprint in Denver and beyond was huge. huge. And yet the actual, so there the trap was to only focus on who was showing up on Monday night and using that as the barometer for healthy, active, engaging church. Mm -hmm. the, the best one I ever heard was, Hey, if you close your doors tomorrow, would anyone notice, right. you know? And I thought that was real, but then I thought, I thought, wow, you know what? We're instead of 35, we're like 25 right now we're down. And then I'm realizing, Right. But what about the hundred that are watching online that, you know, again, it's that mindset of the church is who's in the pews on Sunday morning at 930 versus how many people are hearing a word of hope. And hopefully it's engaging them to the place where they're changing and transforming their lives for Christ. And in that sense, Aspen community is growing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now absolutely. it's growing in Belfast and in China. Right. in Michigan and California. Right. But to your point, it's like, right, are we going to continue with the old paradigms? Are mm -hmm. we going to, here's what I know, you know, 140 people are here in the sermon as opposed to 35 yep. two years ago. It's like, yep. oh shit. Yeah, I never, I, I even, even when you're living the paradigm, you have to live into the paradigm shift. You, you have to at least acknowledge it and see it through the lens 
that you know maybe maybe it's better than we all think it yeah. is. Um, yeah. So, and I, I answered those questions early on, or would give those statistics uh, to my church of, hey, you know, in 2019, the last time you could count people in a congregation, you guys averaged 35, 36 people. Uh, and it was always in response to the question of, well, when are we going to quit doing the, the digital thing? Wow. When the number of the digital people, when you outweigh them, <laughs> when, when this 36 totally. turns into 150 and totally. that turns totally. into four, two or zero, right? You know, right. No, um, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really, and that will, that will have an effect on where we put bricks and mortar, yep. which bricks and mortars are going to stay open, which ones are going to close, how we're going to handle this bivocational or tri-vocational job. I mean, I, I don't want to be too Pollyanna, but there is the possibility this could be a really exciting time for the church. If, if we are willing to lean into it and willing to take the data that we've got and say, you know, let's talk about affecting lives for Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Let's really talk about that and not talk about one Sunday attendance, which a lot of people will let go of. And two, the money in the offering plate. Now the good news is the money in the offering plate at the front door has been bigger than it was when we passed around. So there's, there's one insight right there is that the way that we thought, Oh, we could never not do it this way. We suddenly can. And it turned out. Okay. And two, that we don't, let it be the driving force. You know, I mean, that, that suddenly that's the be all end all. People go, well, you know, we got big budgets. It's like, well, maybe we need to look at that. You know, maybe we need to re-examine that at some point. So um, there's a, the church is a, I remember reading one time, the Catholic church is the largest owner of land in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably the Methodist church isn't that far behind them. We're pretty big ourselves, you know, so. Yeah. And, but, and to your point of, of giving and things like that, um, if you would have told me um, first week of April in, in 2020, that we would have been able to eliminate our building debt that we'd been sitting on for 15 years wow. uh, and bringing in almost $200,000 in two years time. Right. I probably would have tried to commit you or um, uh, <laughs> right. figured out, learn how to exercise some demons because yeah. it just didn't sound right. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, at the start of the year, when we were down to the last, really what I called the last lap, the last 125,000, and I had hope, I knew like, we're going to do it this year. And then I had a group of family who, uh, a group of families who were just inspired by what we were doing and things that were going on, that they laid down a huge gift that within six weeks, we finished our debt. Um, and I never would have thought that would have been possible the first week of April in 2020. Right. I think that that's where having leadership that has a vision in mind for the community that can say, Hey, let's go fish and let's go see what happens and understand that some of the fish we bring in, they're not going to look like the fish that we've been bringing in the last few years. These are going to be different fish and that's going to be okay. Um, And they may not, we may never physically see them, but it's going to be okay. Uh, And um, we're going to be okay. And I think that we've had clergy panic uh, so much that it's allowed our churches to panic, even with this, um, separation uh, within the church the fracturing of the church uh we can make it through this if we have a steady hand and just listen and pay attention to the holy spirit and see where we need to be 
and that everything else will shake out in the end. And that like that whole idea, you know, Jerry, you, you've said this a couple of times and I'm, I'm hanging on this a little more. Uh, maybe I needed this more than anything is that idea of hope and that we uh, need to bring hope into this world that like, it seems like every other week, it's something else. Right. Uh, how can we bring hope uh, into our communities and have that vision for the people that we lead, uh, whether they're here or in Belfast or, you know, wherever they may be, that they can make an impact uh, for the kingdom of God in the world if we just continue to lead with um, that hope that, that it's going to be all right. Well, you, you bring up a great point that I didn't even think of until you were just saying that when you said they may not look like what we traditionally are thinking they look like. You know, within a year ago, two years ago, I didn't have a YouTube channel. A year ago, I didn't have a Venmo account. I got a Venmo account and went online and said, look, we are really hurting. We need stuff for this homeless camp right in the middle of this pandemic. Now, they didn't drop it in the mail. They didn't come by with a check to the church. They didn't. And I'm looking at my account and we're talking in hours. 10, 20, 100, 200, 300, 500, 700, 900. Dollars. And I'm like, what in the hell? Because people are like, you know what? Now, to be fair, I spent more than a decade at After Hours caring for the same folks, just happened to have a different zip code. Uh, so it, much like bearded theologians, you spend time building integrity, building brand, building trust. But it was fascinating to me. And then I'm having Pitkin County Health and Human Services calling me saying we've got a place, but because of the way the grants are structured, we, we have to provide roof or this or this or this. The, the holes are places like beds and mattresses and things. So now there's people in Belfast and China and California buying beds and mattresses for formerly homeless people that now have a home because one, the church is willing to step outside their ego and say, how can we partner with secular organizations like local government and local nonprofits? And two, how are we willing to bring that money into the system in non-traditional ways, i.e. like Venmo? And, and suddenly they're giving to me, I've got this account, I'm going online to Amazon, I'm calling, I'm typing into Health and Human Service at the same time going, hey, um, let Scarecrow know there's going to be a mattress and a bed at his door in four days because somebody in California decided they wanted to donate a mattress. That is a model that, that we weren't doing. I mean, that is really, really rare that now we're seeing on the regular, like it's becoming more and more common. And I think, you know, to Matt's point, man, if we have to offer people hope, it's stories like that, you know, it's, it's to say, you know what, you, you don't have to put on your Sunday best to change the world. I mean, you can do it in your pajamas and, and, and somebody will sleep better to wrote Ralph up Waldo Emerson. Um, you know, what is success? That poem that he wrote in the closing line is to know that even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. I mean, that's what these people are doing. And, and, you know, regardless of whether they know the glory of Patria or not, that's the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that to me is, God is pleased. I mean, I really, truly believe that. So I got nothing else to say. I have nothing else worthwhile. That's it. You know, Someone can question whether that was worthwhile, but I'm uh, telling you right now. 
we definitely Nothing. could we could definitely talk uh, for days jerry and uh we just need to have you on more often uh and we, <laughs> we actually always use you as a thing that like yeah jerry gets all the time he wants and we just let jerry go uh, well, we always- that's great for you guys and the checks in the mail for the viewers <laughs> home, i apologize i'm sorry uh you know we we definitely uh, thank you for your time and we want to encourage our listeners to um go to our website at beardedtheologians.com where we'll have all of our great content up and you can even go back and listen to some of the times that Jerry's been on before and, and, and learn even more. Uh, cause wow. those, those episodes actually do exist. Um, <laughs> uh, we're keeping those. Yeah. Yes, we're keeping those. They're not stored away in some box in an attic. Um, but, uh, encourage you to go, uh, and we'll even have a link to Jerry, the work that Jerry yes. does. So that way you can connect sure. in with Jerry and the, and the great work that he does. Uh, for totally. the kingdom uh, and so jerry uh man we always i always love talking with you uh it's always just uh it's always good to see you and uh you know just always good to have you on easy 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 show to do and and that's strictly because of you guys you guys really create a, a cool environment and you, you feel like uh you've got free reign to either make your point or hang yourself one of the two <laughs> you've got uh, you have plenty of time to, to to run on if you want to so i appreciate being on thanks guys of course thank you this has so, been great uh, for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. I want you to subscribe and like this video. And put that thumbs, push that thumbs up. Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share on all social media outlets. You can check out old episodes and more information at beardedtheologians.com. Thanks for checking us out.